You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Lions 24-7 podcast for the first time in 2020. It's a game week in Happy Valley. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz are with you to get you ready for Indiana and Penn State. We're going to focus a ton on the Hoosiers in our second episode this week. We're going to try to get an opposing perspective, speaking with the Hoosiers beat reporter, to know more about Indiana and the matchup that awaits on Saturday. You'll hear our game day predictions. Later on in this episode, we're going to give you our season record predictions, Sean and myself. We'll talk about the quarterback spot as our State of the Position series continues. Just about wrapped up. We'll talk about wide receivers on Friday to finish things off there. But the conversation unfortunately begins with news that we reported late Monday evening. You may not have read about it until early on Tuesday, uh, but a bright spot for the Penn State football roster toward the end of the 2019 season has become a blemish of sorts entering the 2020 campaign because Journey Brown not going to be available for these Nittany Lions indefinitely. We don't know the details, but we do know that there was a, a medical discovery made during the preseason that will prevent him from playing at least to enter this season. James Franklin, during his press conference today, did leave the door open for the possibility of seeing Journey Brown in a Penn State uniform again. But Sean, this was such a great story, one of the defining stories of the 2019 season and really the following offseason. A guy we've talked about quite a bit and his resilience in his career at Penn State and just a crushing uh, news for, for anyone who's followed this team closely, much less involved. We heard from some players, just a lot of devastation reacting to this news that Journey Brown not going to be on the field. And that's understandable when you understand what, what Journey Brown really has been through and what he's been able to overcome to get where he needed to be. Uh, some people, I mean, Dame, uh, one guy from The Athletic had him as a number one running back in next year's draft. I mean, this is a kid that was legitimately talented, still is legitimately cha- talented. And and let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. As you said, Franklin did open the door for him to play again. So that's a positive sign. Uh, the the, the um, statement that we got from Penn State last late last night, and this is something we've been looking into for a while now, and it just kind of came to a head night before the first press conference, first depth chart, all that kind of stuff. And um, but it, the statement said the medical condition, and he's he's potentially out for the season. And Franklin reiterated that a couple times on Tuesday afternoon, potentially out. You'd love to see that, you know, sort of go Penn State's way. I know not a ton of things have gone Penn State's way during 2020, but you would love to see that uh, come back around and see Journey Brown on the field again. Uh, you know, it's it, and I understand where the where the uh, the reaction is going to go. Penn State has a deep, talented. You know, running back room. That's that's true, uh, but you lose your best ball carrier. You, you know, I, I love Noah Kane. Devin Ford is very talented. You've got all these guys, but you lose your best player, uh, your your home run threat, the guy that was the MVP of the Cotton Bowl because he freaking torched it down there, and that's a lot. So that I mean, we're gonna get to that later in in season predictions and things like that. But how much does lo- losing Journey Brown hurt? Yes, on one hand, you've got that talented, stocked room, well coached. You know, just kind of uh, they. Whoever you put in there should be productive, especially behind a new offensive, uh, new offensive line coach, new offense. 
But at the same time, losing Journey is just, uh, it, it stinks. And now he's been with the team. He hasn't been practicing, but he's been part of things. He was part of Media Day a couple of weeks ago. So you hoped maybe that the, the rumors weren't true. But unfortunately, we're standing here with, uh, with no Journey Brown on the depth chart. It's Noah Kane followed by Devin Ford, and then a couple of freshmen with Kaziah Holmes and Kevon Lee. Your comments are reflective of the rise that Journey Brown made. Let's remember that all those other names, they were four-star guys. A couple of them were in the top 100. Journey Brown was a late addition to that Penn State recruiting class back in in the winter of going into 2017. Uh, A guy who really shed that track label after a couple years. uh, And he did it in a big way last year. You know, uh, just tremendous. 391 rushing yards, seven touchdowns in the final four regular season games. As you said, goes out and wins Cotton Bowl MVP with 202 yards against Memphis a couple more touchdowns had that beast mode run uh that that is gonna be hard to top on the highlight reel um in his career wherever it takes him um and you know last year seven yards per carry essentially 13 total touchdowns and and it made it quick to forget that Ricky Slade and Noah Kane were starters before he was so uh you know heart goes out to a guy like Journey Brown we're gonna get to in a moment what that depth chart looks like but uh, Franklin and these players, you know, really just wanted to reiterate, I think on these calls today without going into detail on what that medical situation actually looks like out of respect for that privacy and, and, and that process, just a guy that, that has a tremendous impact on this locker room. Um, someone who, uh, has been pointed to as, as some of his peers said, Jordan Stout actually mentioned a kicker here. He says, Journey Brown's one of his mentors. And, and that's strange for him to say because they're the same age, but that's how he feels. And, you know, he kind of heard that echoed uh, Lamont Wade, uh, Pat Fryermuth, you know, just pointing to Journey Brown as kind of a heart and soul guy. And he really got, you know, you could see him take on that kind of a role as the season progressed in 2019. And, and certainly in this offseason, knew he was going to mean a lot. Uh, for Penn State football. So that's something that we'll continue to monitor. Uh, if you've been frequenting the Lions 24-7 message boards in the last week, this is not something that would necessarily take you by surprise, but uh, it's also not the worst case scenario um, in, in just saying that he has not been ruled out for the 2020 season. Uh, he's a kid who certainly w- would have NFL aspirations. And, and as you said, a lot of people viewed him very highly in the running back class here for the 2021 draft class. Um, at running back, though, Sean, getting back to the football conversation because football will be played this Saturday. The depth chart was released about two minutes before James Franklin hit the podium for his first game week press conference. And naturally, you kind of gravitate to a couple positions. Uh, we'll start at running back because, you know, you, you get the confirmation that Journey Brown is no longer the starter there and Noah Kane is. And that's not a surprise. Uh, Kane really before Brown burst onto the scene last year in such a big way. Kane was the ascending figure. He looked like he was going to have grips on that starting job as the running back for maybe two and a half years and then then head off to the NFL. And you know he's got a long way to reach those professional ambitions, and, and he's never been shy about his long-term plans and what football can do for him. Uh, but Noah Kane's your guy. Franklin says he thinks he's ready to carry that load. We've, we've heard a lot about the physical development that Noah Kane has made. I think his mindset has always been of a starter's mentality, and that, that has never changed regardless of whether he was getting the touches or or not. But Devin Ford right there at number two, and then the two freshmen that we've talked a lot about getting praise behind the scenes, and, and today from James Franklin directly saying he hopes to see them early in the season and get a feel for what Keziah Holmes and Kevon Lee are. They are listed as sharing that number three designation in the rotation. And just a reminder, 
We saw the rotation last year, a lot of involvement. Kirk Shiraka at Minnesota in 2019, three different running backs going over 400 rushing yards, uh, including one 1,100-yard rusher in Rodney Smith. So definitely expect to see a rotation in place, but Noah Kane is going to be uh, the man out front. And I, and I expect him to be the man out in front. We, you know, of course, Devin Ford had a bit of a hiccup in the offseason, so I would expect a heavy dose of Noah Kane. I know we're not going to get too much into Indiana, but that's the way that I would gravitate to this. They kind of felt they had a, a one-two punch in Brown and Kane. You take one out of there, you got to throw number two in there. And Noah Kane's a pretty good one to throw in there. He's about 226 pounds right now, which is about 15 or so pounds up from last year. And, uh, you know, it's, it seems like a guy that you want in this situation. He's got that professional approach that we've talked about so many times. I know you're a big Noah Kane fan um, and have been for a while. And it's just that kind of uh, that kind of running style is going to sort of endear himself to, I think, Penn State fans. They've, they've already sort of taken to that. But, yeah, you want to have this group. Uh, like I said, it's a talented group. But you lose a lot with Journey Brown. You kind of got to adjust, uh, maybe not adjust your expectations because I still expect him to run the ball and expect him to run the ball well. But at the same time, maybe not the big plays, maybe not the home runs. And maybe you see a little bit more of Devin Ford, maybe as a receiver and uh, the, the the two young kids that they've liked so far. But that's asking a lot of those two freshmen to go in there is uh, to Indiana, go in there to Ohio State to start your career and get going. So I think we see a lot of Noah Kane early, and I think that's probably the right call. As we speak, you're currently putting the finishing touches on a piece about Noah Kane and, and, and him taking on that starting role. And, and, and you know, I'm just reminded a year ago, you know, exactly a year ago, he was stepping up into a starting role uh, for that road trip to, to Michigan State. It was going to be kind of his coming out party as the number one running back. Um, Ricky Slade had fallen down the depth chart. Journey Brown and Devin Ford were involved. But this was the Noah Kane show. It was becoming that way after he closed things out against Iowa. Went for 100 yards, back-to-back Big Ten games, Purdue and Iowa. Um, and then he got hurt in the first possession. But here he is a year later in that starting role. Not the way that anyone wanted it to happen. Um, but I, I think that that job is in very good hands right now. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Noah Kane uh, goes out and produces the kind of season uh, that puts him in the conversation as, as the Big Ten's uh, top running back. And, 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 and he's got some stuff to prove along the way. He's got to do it consistently week in, week out. But I think... Uh, he, he is he's if, if you gotta look for a, a, a safety net in this situation and such a uh, uh, the circumstances dictating this with your top guy going out at the at the precipice of your season, man, it's nice to have an option like Noah Kane who has the experience from his true freshman season. And as I've said, every time I've talked to this kid since his freshman year of high school, it has been tunnel vision on getting to this point in his career. He's here now, and I think he's going to take it and run with it. Uh, the story I'm currently working on, Sean, is a little bit of a uh, I wouldn't say surprise because we've talked about the freshman group, but weren't sure which freshman may step up. Weren't sure if either would be featured as a first teamer. Parker Washington is a starting wide receiver. He's going to get the nod college game one. And let's remember, this guy showed up to campus in the summer. Well, that's kind of been the comparison is is Parker Washington to Noah Kane. I mean, these guys from out of region come in and they want to they want to play early. They want to make an impact and they want to you know, kind of get on with it as fast as possible. We said, we've heard Noah Kane talk about being here for three years and then talking to the, the NFL. I think you see Parker Washington has that same sort of mentality. Uh, when he got here this summer, that was something that turned heads right away. This is a kid that has ball skills that you haven't seen very much in in a Penn State uniform. And that's some, that's saying something, you know, you've got, you've got guys that have put up mega numbers and things like that, but just seemed very different. I was talking to somebody last week in the program. They just say, you know, that ball's up in the air and it's his. And that's not something, you know, we talk, we, we talk about the criticisms of guys like Justin Shorter over the last couple of years and, 
Parker Washington seems to have a different mindset, a different mentality. It would be nice to see. So I, I will, you know, we'll see where that development comes. This is something that we wrote about a couple of weeks ago with Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith, who's a backup on the depth on the official depth chart. Those guys have sort of stepped up and assimilated into that role, and really there's not a ton ahead of them. So the opportunity is there. We're going to see if they can really make that leap from the practice field to the uh, to the game field because Penn State thinks those two are very very talented and they can get there in a hurry. I'm not sure that we saw Parker Washington at, at, as a starter right away, hurry, but uh, you've given the given them the opportunity to move Jahan Dotson back outside. He's in front of Daniel George. Cam Sullivan Brown can be your possession guy, your reliable guy. But yeah, they they really like. Parker Washington, man, that might be putting it uh, putting it nicely. Tremendously productive receiver in in the state of Texas during his high school career. A guy who got to campus for that official visit last summer. You you just wonder he's the, he's the kind of prospect that you probably miss out on uh, in this go round because he can't get guys on campus to check things out. It was a huge long distance recruiting win for them. Uh, one of five receivers signed in that 2020 recruiting class. And you mentioned the the kind of fearlessness of going up and getting that ball. We heard that from Franklin quite a bit today when he was asked about Parker Washington's ascension to the starting role. Uh, um, you know, it kind of reminded me where you said that the maturity aspect of what we heard kind of reminds you of what we heard about Noah Kane last year. This kind of reminded me of what we heard about Marquise Wilson at cornerback last year, where he was so aggressive and so confident, uh, you know, going up for the ball on contested passes. That's, you know, similar to, to have that mindset when you're within your first two months on a college campus playing against guys who are, you know, 21, 22 years old, not just playing against them, but competing alongside them for the same job. Um, and, and this starting lineup now, you're looking at Jahan Dotson, which was a no-brainer for us, Parker Washington, and then conversely, the oldest guy in this room, Cam Sullivan Brown, who's a redshirt junior, also getting the starting nod. Your number two options behind that group, Daniel George, a redshirt sophomore, Isaac Lutz, a senior, a former walk-on, and then Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, who, who you just touched upon as one of those uh, two standout freshmen who stood out from that group of newcomers. Uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot of Keandre Lambert-Smith. I'm very curious to see what Cam Sullivan Brown can do at the re- receiver spot. He's kind of been hamstrung a bit during his career, and he's the last man, uh, you know, standing for, from his, uh, I'm sorry, from his recruiting class. Um, that, that's kind of, you know, KJ Hamler moved on, and you saw Matt Kippenhammer move on for a different reason. Uh, you, you hope that you can have a, a veteran presence there. You hope that he can be a productive player, but. Uh, the, the the youth movement was very apparent on the roster for Penn State, and now it's very apparent on the depth chart at receiver. It was kind of one of those things that we expected the depth chart for week one to look different than the depth chart week five, week six. I don't, right. I don't know that we expected this right off the bat. Just and, and given that's kind of Penn State's operating procedure for the last few years, and they have started true freshmen. You look back, Brandon Polk started as a true freshman. John Reed started as a true freshman, but it doesn't happen often. I mean, there's just not a lot of. Uh, it's not a, exactly a log jam position. You lose some. You lose Hamler to the NFL. You lose a couple guys to transfers. It's just not really. Um, it. I guess it's not a surprise in that aspect, especially what we've heard about Washington and Lambert this off season. But anytime you see a freshman up there, it's just kind of. It's kind of crazy. And without uh, not an enro- early enrollee, even if he had enrolled early, there wouldn't have been a spring camp. And just how this preseason has gone, it speaks volumes about what Taylor Stubblefield sees there, what James Franklin saw. For them to sign off on releasing a public depth chart with him on top of it. 
says a lot about Parker Washington and get the hype train rolling ahead of this matchup against Indiana because that's big time stuff from the rookie. And again, I think we're going to see a lot from Keandre uh, Lambert Smith. He'll have a chance to to show off his skill set early and often, I believe. Another uh, another interesting development of right tight end. It was a you know kind of a backup competition that was worth monitoring over the course of this entire year. Zach Kuntz involved there. Theo Johnson entered the mix, but it's Brenton Strange, the redshirt soft, a uh, redshirt freshman. He's put on a ton of weight since he got to campus. Tyler Bowen has kind of applauded his development behind the scenes, really since he got to campus as an early enrollee in the January of 2019. Um, it has to be a tough pill to swallow if you're Zach Kuntz, but I'd imagine he's going to get his shots on the field as well. It certainly says something about what they see from Brenton Strange as a blocker as well, because Nick Bowers did a lot of damage in that role last year. Uh, he did some nice things as a receiver, but oftentimes it was the things that we didn't focus in and spotlight after the play that he was doing the gritty work for. And Brenton Strange, I guess, is up for the task for now. Again, that's one of the things when you miss a spring, you miss things like this. And we talk about the, you know, the battle for these certain open positions. We'll get to linebacker in a little bit, but you talk about a battle for a backup position, how important that can be. Not that the the backup tight end is going to put up big numbers, but you saw what Nick Bowers did for Penn State last year, and it was it was really a big part of what they did. So uh, this will be, you know, I think a work in progress in terms of figuring out if he is solidly the number two. I think it says a lot that he's listed as the number two ahead of Koontz and Theo Johnson's there at number four. So uh, Pat Fryermuth is your guy. I mean, you're not nobody's taking reps from Pat Fryermuth, but this is something that uh, you can build on for the future. And you can also work into that new offense. You know, you've got a much more talented room of tight ends than Kirk Shiraka ever had at Minnesota. So we're going to see how he utilizes them. Pat Frymuth said something interesting today, um, kind of went out his way to point out he feels like Kirk Shiraka, comparatively to Ricky Ronnie, where a lot of it was trusting the scheme against whatever coverage you saw, he feels like there's a little bit more design plan to get the ball in the hands of playmakers uh, this year. And, and I think that's that's about him, but it's also about other guys in this offense and maybe some other tight ends. Uh, just something that stood out f- f- from his availability. And, and we have a bunch of content up on Lines 24-7, and we'll continue to have that up in the upcoming days. Now we assess the offensive line. No surprises in terms of what's involved in the first team, but I think this is one where you leave kind of the door open for some changes in the weeks ahead. We expect to see multiple guys not listed as first teamers involved there, Sean. Uh, but, but for now, you've got uh, Rashid Walker at left tackle, Mike Miranda at left guard. We saw him on the right side last year. That was Steven Gonzalez's spot the last few years. Uh, Michael Mennett as your se- senior captain center. Uh, CJ Thorpe staying on the right guard. Uh, and then right tackle Will Fries. As we've said, the, the two biggest names to know not in the starting lineup, Des Holmes on the interior and Caden Wallace at tackle. I think we'll see a lot of Des Holmes kind of splitting there with Mike Miranda at left guard. He, he's listed as the top backup at both guard spots. So we'll see if he platoons with uh, CJ Thorpe as well. And then Caden Wallace at right tackle. Will Fries is listed as the uh, second team left tackle as well. So you get three tackles, you got three guards, you got your center, you you know, you're going to get those seven guys out there and we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, Juice Scruggs, I I don't know that you would expect him to go just based on talking to him a couple of weeks ago. Don't know that you would want to expect him right off the bat. Bryce Defner has done some nice things. Anthony Wigan, you know, those guys are just kind of in, as we said, in state of the position, sort of a a lower tier than, uh, than these seven guys. So those are the guys that I would turn to on the offensive line. On the defensive line, Pretty much status quo, except Hakeem Beeman, a guy that we've been talking about a lot, redshirt freshman defensive tackle, listed as the backup to P.J. Mustafer, And that's interesting because we kind of 
you know, we thought that that depth chart was going to go with uh, with Mustafer and Shelton starting, backed up by Judge Culpepper and Fred Hansard. Hansard is the backup. Culpepper is listed behind him. So we'll see what that, that happens. But guys are very excited about what Hakeem Beeman brings to the table on the defensive line. I'm excited to see him personally. Looks like he's added some weight and he's got some explosion there in his game. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Beeman does. You got three, uh, three new linebackers, which, uh, you know, you were going to have to do with Michael Parsons opting out anyway. Uh, you got Brandon Smith at the Sam, Ellis Brooks at the Mike, Jesse Lucchetta at the Will. That's pretty much as expected. You know, you do see a little bit of change here. Uh, you've got uh, Lance Dixon, former five-star in 24-7 sports, backing up uh, Lucchetta at the Will. Dixon's been back and forth, and, you know, he can play both the Will and the Sam positions. And then you got Curtis Jacobs backing up the Sam position. He's another five-star from 24-7 sports. So you've got guys, you've got a lot of talent there. And like I said, with uh, with Journey Brown in the running backs room, there's a lot of talent. There's some depth there. There's a lot of youth. But when you lose your top guys, that's uh, that's going to hurt. And you lost Micah Parsons there. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that rotation comes along. Still curious how they're going to work their two linebacker sets. I see Brandon Smith in there. I'm curious if that becomes Luketa, if he can maybe move around a little better. Heard he's dropped a little bit of weight for this season. So we'll see how they handle that. And, uh, you know, no real surprises there at linebacker. Yeah, good to see Curtis Jacobs crack the two deep. But also interesting to note that Jesse Luketa, a starter at will, and then the primary backup at Mike, as you said. And just going back very quickly, um, this was the projection, but we weren't sure. Jason Owe is the starting defensive end opposite of Shaka Tony. I know we've been talking a lot about Adiza Isaac being in that mix as well. Expect to see plenty of Adiza Isaac, though, and Shane Simmons also on that two deep as a senior, the former five star. Cornerback was another spot where we said, okay, this is, you know, this is all out competition. It happens to be between three, a few classmates there, and, and Tariq Castro Field is your starter on one side. Uh, John Reed is gone, and it turns out we, we referenced this before the possibility Joey Porter Jr. Uh, comes, uh, you know, I would say uh, maybe not internally, but it felt like from the outside looking in comes from behind because he did not burn that red shirt last year, whereas Marquise uh, Wilson and, and Keaton Ellis saw a lot of time and did burn their red shirts. He ends up being the starter. Marquise Wilson, a second teamer, and then Keaton Ellis slash Daquan Hardy listed as the others on the two deep. We knew there would be four, four second year cornerbacks among the top five cornerbacks. We just didn't know who would take that starting job and, and a testament to what Joey Porter was able to accomplish in his second year on campus. Yeah, go ahead and flip on the state of the position for the defensive backs that we did last week. Uh, kind of let it on that Porter would probably be the starter. And you know that's come to fruition. That's a very interesting move considering not only did Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson play last year, actually played pretty well. I mean, Wilson was yeah. a takeaway machine there at the end of the year. And, you know, we've heard good things about Hardy as well, but uh, Porter... They love what they have in that kid, man. He is tall. He is fast. He, I mean, he's got, he checks all the boxes. We'll see if covering is one of the boxes that he can check. And, you know, the, I expect to be, have those guys go in and out fairly frequently, especially, you know, playing a team that's probably going to throw the ball like Indiana's going to throw the ball. So very cool for Joey Porter Jr. Um, and, and I mean, safety seems to be about the same. You, you know, who you're expecting to start in Lamont Wade and Jaquan Brisker. Jair Brown, a guy that we've talked to as a, as a pleasant surprise so far from the junior college. I thought it was interesting as well. He's on the depth chart. Norval Black, the uh, Lackawanna teammate that transferred in, not on the depth chart. Um, so I just very interesting to see him sort of be, uh, I guess, further along than expected. Franklin sort of uh, referenced that on Tuesday afternoon that, you know, you got a little bit more time to work with those guys and get them 
uh, sort of comfortable in the system and, and giving them the opportunity to play. So now all of a sudden he's in the two deep uh, in his first uh, couple of months on campus. Quickly going back to Porter, Franklin called him a guy who got to campus last year thinking he was ready to burn a red shirt, realized he wasn't. The staff kind of knew already, but as the season went on, Porter accepted that. Uh, bought in and it has paid off in a big way for him. The, the, we talked about the star and position. That, that, that happened. Oh, that happened. That happens more than you think, by the way. <laughs> that's some, <laughs> surprise, that's a story surprise. you hear a lot yeah. where these guys want to come in. They want to play, you know, big fish and in, in some, I mean, he played at North Allegheny, so he's not exactly, it's, it's not exactly a small pond out there. Um, but no, I mean, you see these with some of their guys and some, you know, some take to it and some handle it the right way. Others, it takes a little bit longer. It seems like Porter bounced back and did what he had to do. And, you know, it certainly paid off. If you're starting your first game as a redshirt freshman, and I know the rules are different, he's got some experience and everything, but if you're starting your first game as a redshirt freshman, you're doing something right. Now, I do not have the official depth chart listed ahead of me. I have the the great write-up that you have on it. Did they not list the star position? Normally, we do see that on the depth chart. Was that not listed? No star, no lion, uh, you know, a couple of <laughs> couple of kick, kick returners, but uh, no, no star position here. Okay. Uh, you know, we we had talked about, I guess, I, that was on the official one for the spring, if, I, if I'm correct. And, you know, a couple of guys that we circled through there, uh, Keaton Ellis was in there, uh, Daquan Hardy has been in there as a nickel guy, talked about playing safety. Hey, we talked about this all last week on State of the Position, but no, that one was not on there. Uh, is it? You know, is it curious that it's not on there? A little bit, but feel like that they want to. You know, the, I, I'm kind of on on a completely different wavelength here. Kind of surprised that there is a depth chart, especially if you're you're going headfirst into this conference schedule. And I know other schools have put them out, but some schools haven't. Some haven't and yeah. there's really no reason to do it. So we're grateful that we got it, and grateful that we got to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, you, you want to hold and and I guess uh, hide as many cards as you can. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, and might as well just uh, keep that one under their hat for now. I guess. We appreciate the depth chart, uh, <laughs> but but yes, like Sean said, I, I didn't wake up this morning. Fully certain we would see it just because, you know, there's not really a necessity to do it, but we do appreciate it. I would say at the star position, we said last time at the state of the position, is it going to come from safety? Is it going to come from cornerback? We know they think Lamont Wade is tailor-made for that role, but we talked about cornerback. Maybe you see Tariq Castro-Fields or Keaton Ellis or Daquan Hardy in that role to kind of, you know, tap into what you've got at the cornerback spot right now. Special teams, uh, you know, this was a spot, again, like running back, impacted by Journey Brown's extended absence uh, for for how long, we don't know. But now in the kick returner role, Devin Ford, which you knew the running back room was going to play a key role in the return game. That's the case here. Off returner is Lamont Wade, filling that role formerly formerly belonged to Micah Parsons. Uh, something we'll never get to see come to fruition. I know you're so oh, sad about that, Sean. I can't. We're not going to be able to write about it anymore either. That sucks. <laughs> but we've got Wade and Ford as the primary returners. Parker Washington, Keaton Ellis involved there as well. So is Noah Kane. And then at punt returner, Jahan Dotson, who we did see get work when KJ Hamler was not available in 2019. Uh, during certain points in different games, it was Jahan Dotson that stepped up as the punt returner. His primary backup now is that freshman receiver, Parker Washington. And we talked to Stout today, by the way, a little kicker news, confirming he is the guy handling 50 yards and beyond for field goals. He said he's he's telling the, the staff he's good from 65 to 70. Couldn't quite get them to go to 75 yet. So uh, just something fun to keep in the back pocket there from Jordan Stout, who is a lot of fun. He's also your punter, replacing Blake Gillikin. No surprise there. Um, and and that's, that's your special teams review from me. 
me as my special teams guy, uh, uh, Levi Forrest, uh, true freshman walk-on from yeah. down in Virginia, not far from where Stout's from, actually. Um, big leg. This is a kid that they like a lot. And this is – I talked to some people last week, and we talk about who's standing out and all this stuff, and all of a sudden they mention a true freshman walk-on punter. I said, well, that's notable, but, you know, how serious can you be, especially with Stout in front of him? Now he's listed, I think, at three different spots, backup punter. He's listed at kickoff. He's listed, you know, I think as a, even as a holder. Very intrigued what Levi Forrest can bring. I think number six kicker by one of the services last year, and I don't want to say which one because I don't remember off the top of my head, but very highly thought of. Big get as a walk-on, and he's on the list. Michael Wright, the, lo- the walk-on long-, long snapper from Georgia. He just showed up, uh, I believe, this summer uh, or maybe even last month, uh, but he's on the list as as one of the backups at long snapper. So those uh, true freshman walk-on long snappers, you know I love them, uh, just working their way into that depth chart. Last week, we talked about Chris Stoll getting put on scholarship and how you don't really hear the names of of long snappers at any level until they screw up. Same can go at Holder, and you've had a really consistent one with Blake Kilvikin during recent years. This came up during the conversation with Jordan Stout because in the summer, he was saying maybe Pinnaker would hold for him on some of those longer field goals. He said that's off the table now. Uh, it will be Stout as the holder for Pinnaker, and it looks like initially Rafael Checa, but Forrest is in that conversation as the holder. Uh, you'd like not to have to do some kind of switcheroo because that means things probably went awry during the season, but uh, that's probably enough time spent on the holder position uh, on, until things go awry, and then there's never enough time spent on the holder position. Sean, anything else to add? Because while we were engaged in this press conference, you were typing away on the depth chart. Did we miss anything? thing and just a, a full reminder the depth chart does not nail down exactly what you're going to see how things will play out but it gives us the the most recent indication we've had since april so we are very grateful for that yeah it's good and it's kind of uh i guess they kind of trimmed it down a little bit so i think the one in april had like five guys at each wide out spot or something like that now they've sort of you know focused in a little bit more and i'm excited to see how that goes uh fairly accurate in terms of what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks that's always good to see so i'm uh, excited to see some of these positions whether they can sort of take it and run with it all right well that's the initial depth chart hopefully we got eight more to go and over the course of this season uh, a bunch of content coming away from this opening press conference for a game week and these player availabilities and the journey brown reaction all up online 247.com want to encourage you to check that out you'll see videos from some of these conversations as well uh, here in the podcast you didn't hear us talk about quarterback just now it was as you would expect that depth chart but we're going to get into that position more as our state of the position series continues on the other side of the break we'll also give you our final record positions for penn state football here in 2020 do we see a path to the college football playoff and we'll get to our mailbag as well uh, all right around the corner here on the lines 24 7 podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now that we have detailed the Nittany Lions depth chart, which you can find up on Lions 24-7 in its entirety, It's time to turn our attention back to the state of position series that we've been going with the last few weeks. Wrapping that up this week on Friday, we've got receivers on the agenda. For now, it's quarterbacks who are front and center, and that means another new Penn State coach in the spotlight. Kirk Shiraka 
will lead this position unit. He's also the offensive coordinator, of course, after serving in that capacity for the Minnesota Golden Gophers last season. And before we look ahead at what he's working with in this room, you've got to note the success he had with Tanner Morgan. What a year two leap in that system for the redshirt sophomore last year, now a redshirt junior at Minnesota. Uh, he was the second team all Big Ten quarterback behind Justin Fields. And this is really, Sean, the X factor for Penn State. I know that we're talking about a different scenario now with Journey Brown missing time and J- Micah Parsons out of the equation. But to me, even through all that, the, the, the make or break factor with this program is what does Sean Clifford look like running this new offensive system in 2020? How far can they take it? With limited time, without those tune-up games early in the season, we start this conversation at quarterback with Sean Clifford. There's three other scholarship guys to get to in that room, but the redshirt junior, you know, certainly in focus here locally, and I think at the national level, that's the big question folks are asking about what Penn State can accomplish in 2020. Well, and if you wondered, if you're late to joining our State of the Position series, we, we bump back quarterbacks simply because we've talked about them so much and talked about how vital it is for Sean Clifford to take that next step under Kirk Shiraka. And you're right. I mean, watching playoff football, watching these these programs that are in the mix every year for the playoff, and then watching Penn State, and you notice a, a noticeable drop-off at quarterback. You saw that last year when Penn State went to Ohio State. I know Clifford got hurt, but still, uh, he was when he was out there in big games, it wasn't the guy that was coming through winning you those big games. So I don't think there's too much time to be spent on this because we, we kind of have driven it into the ground, but that's just the point. Sean Clifford needs to be better this year. He needs to take that jump. And, you know, you, you've got Shiraka who did what he did with Tanner Morgan. And I think that's the expectation a lot of Penn State fans have. But a lot of that is on Clifford. A lot of that is his mentality, how he's handling things. We saw when he went to Iowa last year. We saw when he went to Minnesota last year. Sort of a deer in the headlights look. And that's what he's got to avoid. He's got to be able to avoid those situations where he runs into pressure, avoid those situations where he just throws it up. And, and you know, it's great. When you've got KJ Hamler to go get that ball, or you got Pat Fryermuth as a as a very good safety blanket, but at the same time, I mean, he's got to be those guys that puts the ball in the right spot at the right time. And you know, I think uh, sort of from a staff schematic standpoint, you add Shiraka, who obviously you know knows what he's doing, calling his own offense. You've got Troutwine, who was fantastic at in both run and pass game in terms of protection last year. And then you add Stubblefield, who who's going to try and get those receivers in the right places. So uh, all three sort of um, posturing toward the same thing. And I think the same thing is getting Sean Clifford to be the guy. And like I said, I, I don't think he has to be Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, all that thing, excuse me, all that kind of stuff to be a playoff quarterback. But you know he's got to be out, be be that guy that's sort of uh, you know off teetering off the edge of of average to above average and gets you to to where you need to be and and that's a good to great to elite team. Trevor Lawrence was the exception in the playoff last year. Sean, the only guy who actually committed to the program and 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 enrolled as a freshman at the program that he helped lead into the college football playoff. The other three were transfers. Ended up with different coaching staffs. Sean Clifford stays put in State College, but ends up with Kirk Shiraka. Talked about what he did with Tanner Morgan. Joe Flacco is a big name on his resume back at Delaware. And and the, and although they were not able to spend time on the field together in those spring practices through over the course of the summer, uh, you just you kind of take away some of the comments we've heard from James Franklin and even Kirk Shiraka and this quarterback room. It's almost as though they were able to engage more because of the uh, the countless Zoom meetings that have gone on and just fine tuning everything. And you know we're going to find out soon how it translates against Indiana. There's no doubt about it. If you're a Penn State fan, you'd like to. See See Sean Clifford maybe work work into this scheme against a team like Kent State or San Jose State. Uh, the, the Virginia Tech road game was always going to be tricky, but that that is not available for, for this program. But when you talk about the ground game that we think 
this team can have in the offensive line, the step they may be ready to make, and, and the safety net in Pat Fryermuth. There's a lot to like about what Sean Clifford has. You, you need to see what he establishes trust-wise in the wide receiver room, though. We just talked about this wide receiver group last year. To the detriment at times, there was a, there was just such a, an effort to find K.J. Hamler down the field and lock in on him. Um, K.J.'s gone, and, and, and as much as you, you hate to miss, uh, as much as you miss that scintillating skill set in the receiver room in your offensive attack, I do wonder what that does in terms of opening things up for vision for Sean Clifford, and also in collaboration with Kirk Shiraka, what he has him doing pre-snap, and, and that's where Kirk Shiraka says that step has been made. I feel like if this guy can go through those reads and make decisive decisions, and regardless of what number jersey the guy is wearing down there, find the open man, get the ball out of your hand quick, get it the ball out of your hand with improved accuracy, spread the wealth. I, I just think there's there's a lot of opportunity here, uh, and and you know wide receiver development is going to play a big role here. But I think Sean Clifford uh, is going to be the guy that can take you know, take that position group and give it a push forward. Oh, I, I think so. I mean, you look at this, there's a reason he's the starter. He's, a, you know, the most uh, ready to go, ready to lead this team right now, talented guy that's out there. And and I think he can, you know, we I think we spent a lot of time last year sort of making excuses for him. And I'm not sure that's really the way that he would have had it, but, you know, they were there for the taking. This year, I know you've got the new offensive coordinator, but it's, it's a proven offensive coordinator. It's a system that's been successful. By the way, uh, Tanner Morgan's first start, October 27th, 2018, against Indiana, 17 of 24, 302 yards for three touchdowns and an interception. I think, you know, you'd certainly take that for Penn State next weekend if, if they go to to play a Tom Allen defense. And I, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those things where you just got to He's just got to do it, and I and I, f- I feel like I've said that a bunch for for guys all over this roster, but no, probably none more important than Clifford, and none more on the spot than Clifford because it, weapons are what they are. I mean, I, he's going to have that running game, he's going to have that offensive line, as you mentioned, um, but yeah, he's got to put his weapons in the right spot to do things. And, and I'm curious to see. I think this is the biggest thing is is what happens when he gets to the line of scrimmage. He doesn't get the look that he li- that he he likes. You know, they Minnesota did some check with me. They did, but they also did some tempo. They did some things to sort of, you know, mix it up and go fast, go slow, do do a little bit of everything. How does he handle that? And and how does that handle his processing skills? Because last year his processing skills were were not the best. Got some happy feet, ran into some sacks. He was responsible for for a number of the sacks that he took. So I'm curious how that 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 melding of of these three new coaches is going to come together, and you know how he can sort of build off of what Pat Fryermuth is able to. Uh, provide for him what he's able to do with Jahan Dotson and then the new kids as well. I mean, he's got a lot to work with, but you know, until he until he does it on the field, and this is where it sucks not having the non conference. Until he does it on the field, I mean, there's there's reason for doubt. Sean Clifford has thrown uh, 326 passes in his college career, only seven interceptions. I love that number, but where there was a startling change, I think, going from McSorley to Clifford, and you just mentioned this, is his inability uh, pretty pretty frequently last year to feel that pressure coming, to react accordingly, maybe to go lateral, buy himself some time. It, it seemed too often... He stayed put in the pocket for for a second too long, was brought down, or you know he, he kind of dropped his eyes from downfield. McSorley, one thing he would always do while evading that pressure, kept his eyes downfield, gave his gave his receivers or running backs an opportunity to do something down to adjust their routes, to break off and maybe uh, improvise with him. 
I'd like to see more improvisation. I know we're talking about playing within the structure here, but I'd like to see when things do break down and pressure gets on Sean Clifford, and, and you can bet that, that regardless of how good this offensive line is, when you're up against the best teams in the Big Ten, particularly that Week 2 matchup with Ohio State, you're going to have defenders in your face at different times during the course of that game. And I think how he reacts to that, not just avoiding sacks or avoiding avoiding a hit and fumble, but maybe creating something, maybe, maybe going it, maybe going out of the comfort zone, keeping his eyes downfield, evading pressure for that extra half second or a second to give your guy a time to gain some separation from a linebacker or a coverage man, and just making something happen where instead of taking a loss or, or taking a no gain on a play, you can maybe pick up a chunk of six yards and that puts you in a better situation to let your running game dictate things on a short yarded situation. And I, and I know they want to probably run the ball less with Sean Clifford this year, keep him a little bit uh, more upright and healthy. And I think, you know, if you run him less, it certainly opens the door for more efficiency from that, from that run game, because we, I mean, I think we saw it last year. I think it might've even been Morgan when he kept the ball, you were like, what's, what's he doing? You know, like, and, and then he all of a sudden picks up eight to 10 yards. You know, the, these quarterbacks that you don't expect to run are sometimes, uh, sometimes the deadliest on their feet, you know, so they can get going and, and Clifford's athletic enough to take that and turn that six yard gain into a first down. You know, it's, it's one of those, one of those things. And, and I feel bad because it, it seems like I'm down on Clifford. I like Sean a lot. He's, you know, a fantastic kid. I think he's a very good talent we're grading on this curve now where you put those playoff expectations ahead of you. And, you know, Sean Clifford, I think, could be a very, very good quarterback and, you know, in most leagues or in, I guess in all leagues in this country. But at the same time, when you're talking about being the top five, six teams that are just in the mix at the end, you've got to have a, a step up. So I do feel bad kind of the way that, you know, I, I, I said doubt. I didn't really want to say doubt in the last uh, the last segment that I talked, but we're grading him on this curve of can he get Penn State to the playoff, not is he going to be a good enough quarterback? Because you've had this conversation. I mean, we've seen this conversation a, a thousand times in the offseason. His stats are fine. His stats are good. Stats, you know, aren't, aren't going to tell the complete story. So I, I, I feel bad the way that I've approached Clifford in terms of his expectations, but the program's expectations say we got to get to the playoff and he's got to be the guy that gets him there. You said this earlier, you know, who doesn't feel bad about about a lot of this stuff is Sean Clifford. He owns a lot of this stuff. And that's what I came away impressed last year, whether it was after the Maryland game and he was so fired up about his performance that ultimately got him Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Or after that Minnesota game, when I had a microphone in his face, along with every other beat reporter uh, covers Penn State, and he was fighting back tears, and you could see kind of his eyes welling up, but he was delivering a statement and taking ownership and and, and pointing the finger at himself. And, and I, I I think that's important, but I also know that this, this that Sean Clifford did not commit to Penn State to put up good stats for a team uh, that's okay with finishing its season before January. Uh, I, I know Sean Clifford has higher expectations for himself. He's a guy that carried him himself that way. Going out to lead 11, he, he among those alpha quarterbacks who maybe had higher ratings than him, and some of them have gone on to, to play in the college football playoff, he always carried himself in that kind of esteem, and that always stood out. I think he's got that kind of presence. Now we're going to see it. And, and the one thing adding to working against that curve is every Penn State football fan has seen what that – Kirk Sharaka offense can look like when it's at its most surgical because they got a firsthand experience there. We talked about Christian Veyu taking a visit as a recruit and, and watching that film with Kirk Sharaka. 
you better believe that Sean Clifford and those other quarterbacks have seen that Minnesota Penn State film from last year because it doesn't get much better than that at the quarterback position. Yes. And moving on down the quarterback line, if you look, uh, going back to this Minnesota Indiana game from 2018, and I know that they're different teams now, and Minnesota was four and four at that point. And, you know, Minnesota sort of bum rough, bum rushed Tom Allen's defense. And that's not something that happens all that often. Went up, I think, 31 to nine before Indiana came roaring back and eventually tied the game. But, uh, First touchdown in that game went to Seth Green, and we've talked a lot about Seth Green on the podcast because we see Will Levis as having a potential role of being that guy. So as you get down, you know, continue to go down the quarterback roster, Will Levis, I think, can be an important guy. And I think it's in the sense that, you know, situational is situational. You can't just rely on him game after game. And I saw, you know, some people comparing him to Tommy Stevens, and that's really not fair to either of those guys because I think they're being asked to be or would be asked to be different things. But I think Levis can be very useful. I think he can be a guy that, uh, you know, you shouldn't really gasp when he goes into the game or anything like that. So I'm excited to see what they carve out for Will Levis. I still think uh, from a quarterback standpoint, there's work to do on his accuracy. But of course, we haven't seen them. You know, usually by this time, we've seen at least a snippet of practice where we get a look at Will Levis and get a look at where, where he's throwing the ball and how he's locating it and things like that. That obviously very different this year with our uh, with our practice access, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how they use Will Levis because I think he can be a guy that you know carves out a role, and you you know you don't always have that for your your backup quarterback. So I think it's a it's a good start to see him being used in that running game, and I think that they can also maybe play off and and get him into that passing game as well, just as a for lack of a better term gimmick role. So I'm I'm excited to see what Levis can bring to the table this year, especially as that power runner. Yeah. His his running was the you know the, kind of what stood out from his late late season appearance last year. The final six quarters, he was the quarterback with Sean Clifford sideline, hundred plus rushing yards against Rutgers. Uh, you know he, he made he made some momentum uh, against Ohio State on the road in a game that they were down behind big, gave a little bit of a spark there, but unable to really get it going with the arm. Only fourteen pass attempts by the way in that one start against Rutgers for eighty one yards. So uh, yeah, we we don't know what he looks like as a passer, but I can tell you as an athlete, at six foot three in the mid two twenties. This is a kid who was the spark, uh, had the top spark Nike rating uh, back at that New Jersey regional opening of, you know, a couple months before he committed to Penn State. And that's uh, an event that draws a ton of top talent. And to do that at the quarterback position stood out back then. Uh, here he is, year three, uh, offensive coordinator number two. Um, I, I, I certainly think Kirk Shiraka sees that parallel. He, he said as much to, to Seth Green and the usage that they had at Minnesota, 13 rushing touchdowns the last couple of years. Um, the, the thing you want to be careful here is uh, – you got, you got to make sure this guy's available because uh, you know I, I know you want to run him like a fullback and 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 people people see him as that power back maybe but man I mean, you lose Will Levis uh, to to something like that and and I and I hate saying this and this is kind of what I was pushing against when people were talking about you know don't use Saquon Barkley as a kick returner don't get him hurt a guy's gonna play a game and he's gonna play it well and if he gets hurt it's football. But man, it just—it's a slippery slope. I feel like going from Sean Clifford down to Taquan Roberson, who has one pass attempt in his college career, um, is a guy that isn't nearly as physically imposing as Will Levis. Not even in that same uh, really ballpark in that regard physically. Um, but I'm curious about it. I don't think that the absence of Journey Brown really changes things one way or the other. How they were going to utilize Will Levis in the rushing game. But man, you know, at that size with the athleticism and, and last year, he, you know, he rushed for 200 plus yards, scored three touchdowns on the ground, 
I can see why Kirk Scirocco would be intrigued about using him. Uh, but let's not forget, the last couple of years, you've needed your backup quarterback to come in and play substantial reps, start a game. Uh, this is a different offense. We're not expecting the wear and tear uh, from a rushing standpoint on Sean Clifford like we saw from on, on him last year and the year before with Trace McSorley. But uh, this number two, this isn't like the last last couple of years where you felt really good about Sean Clifford being your number three guy. Um, and, and then last year, all of a sudden, Tommy Stevens leaves and that changes everything in the from a depth chart perspective. I know Taquan Roberson now has a year under his belt, but it still feels a, a little bit of thin in terms of confidence. And we're still not confident what Will Levis can do as a passer. That's the only kind of caveat I throw in there with with, you know having Will Levis go out there and take shots from Big Ten defenders on a consistent basis. Well, and the line you're going to hear with that is, if you've got Noah Kane, your bruiser in the backfield, or maybe even Kevon Lee, who's 230 pounds in your backfield, why would you bring in Will Levis? And, you know, I get that, but it's a different look. It gives you something a little bit different. And if you're asking Will Levis to throw two passes in a game, it's much different than asking him to throw 25. So uh, I think that that it certainly will bring value to the offense. And, you know, does it give it maybe gives you a chance to get an extra offensive lineman in there? We saw Kirk Shiraka do that at Minnesota, play a lot of unbalanced, get some guy, get, you know, bring in, you know, that extra guard that's out there, or Caden Wallace that's out there that can, you know, the, the, they've got those seven offensive linemen that they're probably going to roll with. So you're going to go into that and maybe give yourself a little bit uh, of wiggle room and options down there in the red zone. By the way, we talked about this before when the NCAA announced his pause on on eligibility. But I'm going to reference this again because of that. Sean Clifford able to stay on campus, potentially flashing that and bright lights, potentially through the 2020 2022 season. And at that point, Will Levis will be 23 years old um, if Sean Clifford's still on campus. Now, Sean Clifford, I'm sure anticipates putting up some big numbers, maybe having something to think about in the next year or two, and and not being on campus for six years. And we'll see how that goes. But something to keep in the back of your mind as we've seen quarterbacks transfer out of this program. Uh, Will Levis looks like he's going to be, uh, you know, around certainly for a fourth year or for a fourth year next year. Um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Just it's just the longer you go, even with this pause on eligibility clock, the more you wonder if, if a guy gets antsy. But I do think we'll see Will Levis in, involved in the game. The next guy up on this depth chart is Taquan Roberson. And we got a look at him in one contest last year. But over the course of the year, he kept showing up on the travel roster, on the sidelines of these Big Ten matchups early on. Weren't quite sure how that would shape up with him and Michael Johnson Jr. both enrolling early. Johnson Jr. left the program earlier this year. And that's Taquan Roberson. The last time he played substantial football, Sean, was back at DePaul Catholic in New Jersey as a junior. Led that team to a state championship. And, And I want to reiterate he was encountering one of the most difficult uh, schedules you will find in the state of New Jersey with that program, uh, and and he was getting it done with his legs and his and legs and his arm. But I really think it's important for people to recognize. To me, it's more about the arm talent with Taquan Roberson than it is about his rushing ability. Yeah, I think you're going to fall into that trap of labeling him as more of an athlete. But no, of the guys that are on the roster. He's probably your least efficient runner, but throws a nice ball, throws a tight spiral, gets it, gets the ball out there. Probably a little bit stronger arm than you would think just by looking at him. He's not a very big guy, but yeah, he brings that that sort of uh, traceness to the table. I, I and I don't think he, that he's ready. He just kind of the feedback that we got through the offseason was he and Michael Johnson Jr. fell into that role as scout team quarterback or that third or fourth team guy. And, you know, just kind of went with it. And, you know, you've got to be, this is a level where you've got to prepare to be the starter, even if you're the third or fourth guy. And I think that that, you know, didn't really stifle his growth or anything like that. But at the same time, it kind of puts you uh, into a sense of where you're at. And that's, you get comfortable with that. And I think that that's something that, that Roberson's going to deal with. 
one thing that when we talk Levis, when we talk Roberson, even Micah Bowens, is this camp, the way that they've set it up, these reps for Sean Clifford are so important that he's getting uh, just a huge chunk of these reps. Now you've moved Bowens onto the scout team by now, but at the same time, you're not getting your number two and your number three, the reps that you had hoped, the reps that they would have gotten in the springtime. And that's probably going to be something that's going to, you know, I don't know if it's going to be an issue later, but you got to keep Clifford healthy. But it, it could be something that comes up in terms of lack of familiarity with what's going on because you have to have that number one guy so ready, uh, just so tuned into the new offense. Clifford and Levis, uh, you know, both two near two twenty for Clifford. Will Levis beyond that? Levis is six three. Clifford six two. Roberson, you're talking about five eleven, one ninety five, and then also with with Micah Bowens, sub six foot, also in the one nineties right now. A guy who did get interest as a defensive back from the Power Five level, and a guy who comes from a program that has a lot of clout in the recruiting world at Bishop Gorman at Las Vegas. I mentioned this before. He was the uh, fourth consecutive Power Five uh, quarterback recruit Randall Cunningham uh the second ultimately went and played track uh, participated in track and field at USC then he had Tate Martell hasn't worked out for him but he was one of the most decorated quarterbacks to come out of high school ever and then you had uh Dorian Thompson Robinson who went and signed with uh, Chip Kelly in UCLA next up was Micah Bowens a guy who we talked about this in the podcast when he was our guest he got on planes for these games it was a different kind of preparation than you would normally ever see at the high school level I think that all helps him um but this is a kid that, you know, I think there are a lot of questions about who he is as a quarterback. And Kirk Shiraka did recruit him at Minnesota. His cousin was actually on the on the Golden Gophers roster last year. Um, so there was some familiarity there already. Um, I'm curious how this marriage will work out. And and, and considering that Johnson Jr. is uh, out of the mix, um, you know, this is your scout team quarterback. He can present some, some nice dual threat abilities against your starting defense. And that's the starting point for him. I think he can be a valuable asset on the practice field. I'm still, you know, certainly up in the air on, on long term if this is the kind of player who can put you in the college football playoff conversation as a starting quarterback at this level. Yeah, and I think I go back to what I said about Roberson. I think what he does on the scout team sort of reflects on how he prepares for things. And I, you know, I don't really see Bowen seeing the field anytime soon, especially with that ex- extra year. And, you know, we're going to have that added layer of when Christian Veyu gets to campus next year. I mean, he's going to have, they're both going to be fre- true freshman eligible. So that'll be an interesting dynamic there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be about how he prepares, how he handles all this stuff. And you're right. He does have a big time background playing for a big time school that is closer to college than most of these guys that, you know, will come in or have come in, will have experienced. So excited to see how his progress goes. It's going to have to get bigger. It's going to have to get stronger. Uh, but he's got some athleticism to work with. Got a nice base. Uh, I think he's a long way off. Christian Veyu, as Sean just referenced, is the 2021 quarterback commit, intends to enroll early. So he's only a a couple months away at this point, about two and a half months from being on campus, uh, sat out as a senior because no football going on at the Bullis School down in Maryland, stayed home in Ontario continue to train and and he's going to be a, a different kind of physical guy uh, pushing six foot four 200 pounds and we've referenced he also matches some speed with that uh, so the next edition of the quarterback room and him Bowens Roberson all will be freshman status eligibility 
in the 2021 year. It will be Roberson's third year, but that's how things will work out in this quarterback room. And you won't have a senior eligibility status in 2021 with Sean Clifford retaining uh, his redshirt junior designation. Um, we're going to get into season predictions now, uh, Sean. Ready or not, it's, it's, it's something that we've been wondering if we get the chance to make these season predictions. Ends up being a, a nine-game schedule. So it's tricky. Uh, it's trickier. <laughs> that's an understatement. It is so bizarrely difficult to anticipate what's going to happen this season and just watch what's happened in other powers. Power five conference, uh, and that will tell you the story. Additionally, we don't know the ninth game. We have no idea who Penn State will be playing that that week, uh, third week of December during this inaugural Big Ten Championship week. Penn State fans hope it's in the Big Ten Championship game. If they're number two in the East or number three in the East, they're still going to be facing a potentially ranked opponent out of the West. I've got them eight and one, Sean. Um, I, I I have them losing a fourth consecutive time to Ohio State. That's the one game that with Micah Parsons out of the equation and giving Justin Fields a, a full year to work with Ryan Day and that offensive staff, I just don't like how that equation works out without the whiteout crowd. And, and I don't think I really need to explain that too much. It's going to be a very tough matchup uh, for Penn State against the Buckeyes this year. But I, I couldn't give anybody enough of the benefit of the doubt to say that they were going to give Penn State that second loss. Now, I could see Penn State losing a second or third game. Certainly, you can find that spot. There's a lot of, uh, of potential pitfalls on this schedule, and that starts this Saturday at Indiana. No cakewalk at all. We're going to keep hammering that home, and we'll preview that game more next week. But I've got them at 8-1, and one, and my big question there is losing early against Ohio State. And, and, and this is assuming that it's not a 40-point route at home to Ohio State. It's a competitive matchup. Ultimately, Penn State just doesn't have enough in the tank to get it done against Ohio State. Does that one loss on your record qualify you for the college football playoff? We're going to see how it all shakes out, but that's going to be the intriguing question because I have no idea what the committee is going to do this year, and and we usually don't, but uh, I I have so many questions about what an 8-1 Penn State team could factor into the college football playoff. Uh, and, and But that's where I've got them. I, I I know you managed to find a second loss, although you weren't exactly specific about where you found it. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> yes. it. Uh, I've watched more college football this year than I do, usually do. Obviously, we, we are at the stadium on Saturdays. We you know we always had the Lions 24-7 tailgate, which once it's back, you got, everybody's welcome to come. Um, but it's uh, it, there's so much chaos this year and so many crazy things happening that if you're going to side with chaos and I'm on that 8-1 and one and 7-2 line, I side with chaos this year because it's 2020 and why the hell not? So um, I don't know where that second loss is going to come. I mean, I've, I've been wary about Indiana. I still think Penn State, even with the, you know, Journey Brown not playing, uh, is is going to be, you know, a, a favorite in that game and can, should be favored for a reason. They should win that game. But still, it's a tough place to play, tough place to get up for, and a tricky place that Penn, for, that Penn State's had trouble with. So I think they can win that game. Ohio State, I agree with you. I think Ohio State, just there's too many things going and I go back to you know where I sat after Micah Parsons opted out, and you can talk about how deep and talented that linebacker room is, but at the same time, you lop off the, the best player in the country, you're going to lose a lot. I feel the same way about Journey Brown. I love Penn State's running back room, but if you take away the starter, you can take away the, the most talented guy. That's, you know, not cause for concern, but it's a reason to, to sort of knock Penn State here. So those two units while they are deep, while they're talented, while they also have a lot of young talent, you take away the headliners at both of those positions. And all of a sudden, you know, you're not as good of a football team as you would have been. I mean, this is not 
crazy analysis. This isn't anything out of the ordinary. So I, I side with, you know, chaos. You, you lose depth, you lose talent, you lose some of that stuff. And you've got questions of whether or not Sean Clifford can be that guy. And, that, you know, they should be favored in seven or eight of these games. I don't know how it's going to turn out with the ninth game. As you mentioned, nobody knows how it's going to turn out with the ninth game. But there's a lot, there's so much going on that just kind of, uh, and I'm going to say cast out again, but it gives you that feeling that crazy things can happen. And, you know, why wouldn't they after the last uh, eight or nine months? I've bought into the 24-7 sports uh, team talent composite, which is probably foolhardy considering Texas and Florida State are very highly ranked on that list as well. And Oklahoma also has two losses this year. But I just see it. I see Penn State being a talent mismatch for most of the teams on their schedule. I don't know what Michigan's going to look like this year. I have a feeling the wheels could come off uh, for them by the time Penn State sees them later in the Possible, year. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, this Indiana game may be that tricky one. And I think Nebraska is a tricky trip because, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's a tricky trip for us logistically to cover. But for Penn State, I'm just curious what, what that's going to look like against Nebraska, where they're going to be. I could find a second loss, like I said. I could probably find a third loss. I'm going to lean on the team's talent depth. I'm going to lean on having uh, some continuity at the quarterback position, at the offensive line. And also, I think they have the defensive leadership on the sideline and on the field to kind of help them, uh, you know, sustain this. I think they lose a ton with Micah Parsons, understatement of the century. As you said, that you can't quantify that loss and just brush it off. I think they're in a better position to, to recover from losing Journey Brown, but he is one of the most explosive players. And by the end of last year, he was their most important playmaker on offense. Um, so we shall see. Uh, that, that, that's where we stand right now on season predictions. Eight and one. Will that be enough to get in the playoff? Who knows? I think seven and two certainly would not be. That's where Sean lands. And I haven't seen a single reporter on this beat uh, anticipate that they're going to beat Ohio State. So the Nittany Lions in a week and a half from now, assuming they get past Indiana, and that's a big assumption, they have plenty of bulletin board material just here in Happy Valley if they're searching for it when they take on the Ohio State Buckeyes and they're coming to town on Halloween. So the opportunity is there for the taking. We'll see if they're able to, to pull off an upset there um, and, and snap that losing streak against Ohio State. And one more point here on my on my prediction. 2018, I went a little optimistic. Uh, you lose Saquon Barkley. You lose Mike. You, you know, you lose those guys that were premium pro prospects, no doubt. And I thought Trace could handle that. And I think a lot of people in the building thought Trace's uh, maturity and experience could make up for that. And it just, when you lose game wreckers like that, they don't. They don't grow on trees. You can't just you know pluck them out and and go with it. I think Ohio State's going to have some you know some of these issues where they're going to have to develop these guys and make them into you know they've got more talent than anybody in the conference. That's not a that's not a debate. But they're going to have to cultivate these guys and make them game ready to make them game wreckers. Now they got a lot of their talent back, so that's you know that's a good starting point for them. But it's just sometimes we maybe undervalue how much you lose, especially guys that you should have on the roster, guys like Parsons and Brown, very talented guys that, you know, should be vaulting you to the college football playoff, and then they're not. Quickly to the five-star mailbag. We're limited on time here to finish it up. Um, Question one, Sean, and and our only one, and it's a simple one. What's more likely, Penn State starts 2-0 or 0-2? I think it's 0-2, and I don't think it's particularly close from the statistics. You look at FPI and you know Ohio State favored to win that second game, and Penn State favored to win that first game at Indiana, but it's a lot, you know, probably a lot closer than than you would think. So I'll go with 0-2, uh, just because 
you know, we, we think of a lot of Ohio State's talent. They've got a lot of experience. They got the quarterback coming back and, you know, those things to work with with some movement in the staff. But at the same time, I mean, they've just uh, I, I just think they're better than everybody in the conference. And, and I think Penn State's a really, really good football team. And you'd love to play the whiteout. You'd love to get fans there. You'd love to have an atmosphere there. But if you're playing in an empty stadium, I feel like is this the year that chalk wins out? I know I said about chaos earlier, but those top, top teams have looked pretty darn good. Yeah, I think one and one is going to be the result here. And if I, you got the question is about that. So I'm going to go zero and two as well, just because I, I I have a tougher time seeing them uh, overcome Ohio State than I do see Indiana having a tougher time uh, beating Penn State at home this weekend. So uh, slightly uh, skewed towards that zero and two. I I I think we'll we'll talk about this more. Uh, we're, I don't think either of us are picking Penn State to start zero and two. We'll talk about our specific Indiana predictions later in the week. And I know some listeners are like, I thought this was Indiana game week. Where was the Indiana game talk? We got you covered next episode. We're going to have a Indiana Hoosiers beat reporter on to give us the lowdown on this version of Indiana. They're coming off their finest season in a quarter century. Let's not forget that. Talk about that matchup. The post-game podcast returns Saturday whenever the game goes final. All your coming your way here on Lions 24-7 podcast. In the meantime, time to get back to work on, uh, on, on everything that comes with a game week. We are happy to be back in the thick of it. We love your support. We appreciate the listeners, and we'll talk to you real soon here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.